Well, at the end of the week, it's time once again to go inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Sabalero, and with me is my friend, my good friend, Kelly Grayson. KG, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. I've, uh, I'm, I'm a college student again. Awesome, bro. Getting used, getting used to that. What school did you pick? Uh, Nunez Community College in just outside of New Orleans, the Fighting Pelicans. How about that? The Fighting Pelicans. Did, did I get t-shirts? Uh, I think so, probably. Uh, not that I, they have a mascot. I don't know that they have a sports team at all. <laughs> it's a commuter campus, man. So I wonder if we could develop a sports team like the uh, whatever it is. But we're, we could be uh, supporters of the Fighting Pelicans. That's right. We can, hey, uh, we'll, we'll set up the Nunez Fighting Pelicans dodgeball team. How about that? ESPN 8, the Ocho. The Ocho. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations. Good luck to you. And, you know, this yeah. is going to be, I think, a good opportunity to bring this into the shows as far as, you know, yeah. curriculum, things you're learning, and doesn't really make a difference. You know, you've got leadership experience, you've got supervisor experience, mm-hmm. you've got education experience. Of course, you're an incredible practitioner. So now, as you start to learn the things that are in the curriculum of EMS management, I assume that that's what you're taking as EMS management. No, right right now it's just general studies, but uh, the the bachelor's degree will probably be in management okay. if I don't go into nursing. Yeah, what? Nur- nursing? Oh my god! <laughs> all right, all right. Let's... May, may cross over to the dark side. I hear they have cookies. That's right. Uh, <laughs> another great T-shirt. But anyway, I digress. So Kelly, you know EMS One is doing a really great job this month. You know, really kind of focusing on bariatric mm-hmm. bariatric transfers and. You know, there's uh, some great information up there to check out, some good articles. And, you know, I think it's one of the topics that we haven't really discussed is, you know, kind of transport of bariatric patients. There's been a lot of great, you know, um, uh, movement, so to speak, or not to, no pun intended, of how we've started to transport, you know, patients who are uh, obese and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the, in the old days, uh, again, every time I say this, I turn around and look for my dad in the old days, you know, we used to get a tarp from the fire department and we used to try to make people as comfortable as we could. And, you know, we'd have to take the antlers off the floor. We'd have to take yeah. the cots out. And, but now there's been a lot of, um, really evolution in how we're transporting bariatric patients. And I kind of want to talk a little bit about equipment. I want to kind of talk about safe moving, but I also want to talk about attitude. It seems that, you know, we've become a society and I'm sitting here as I say this, knowing that I need to lose a few, that we've become a little bit bigger with all the supersizing and with all the, you know, with all Mm -hmm. the extra, you know, the value meals and with all the, so we've become a society that has become bigger over the years, but we're starting to see more and more patients that we're having to take care of that are needing some extra help when it comes to transport, when it comes to treatment, uh, when it comes to comfort. And I thought it'd be a great topic to talk about today. Yeah. You know, and, and this, I'm not, uh, I tend to think that this is a, a uniquely American problem. Um, I, I would imagine that other industrialized nations and other societies have problems with obesity, but I don't think anyone, uh, any of them, compare to the, the epidemic levels that uh, that America has. Um, you know, we, we just, 
I guess it's an embarrassment of riches, you know, that we are fed so well <laughs> that some of us take it to extremes, uh, myself included. Um, my focus lately has been on making sure I'm not one of those bariatric patients one day, and I'm, I'm making good progress in that regard. But that is something that is it's a growing movement in EMS. We're starting to see uh, a lot of, of agencies adopt bariatric transport protocols and, and specialized equipment and training specifically for these patients to you know varying degrees of success. Um, Interesting, interesting topic to talk about because we we normally only think of of the bariatric transport as a as a transfer, you know, as as what kind of equipment do you need to haul a big old guy around or a big old girl around, and 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 that's rather simplistic and, and kind of demeaning to the patients if we only think of it in that regard, uh, because these patients have emergencies too. You know, how do we handle these guys in emergencies uh, and, and give them the care that they need, which is often quite different than than the care we would we would give other uh, uh, other demographics? Yeah, I think that that's a really great point. And I think that one of the things that we have to remember as well, one of the big components of bariatric uh, transportation, you know, and as you talked about it, I think you hit it very well. We've got to remember the safety of the crew as well. So when we think about lift assist and when we think about picking somebody up off the floor and we think about, you know, actually getting these folks into the ambulance as well, you know, in the days of, you know, electric cots, you know, it's it's been a little bit easier. Um, again, you know, I remember starting out that we used to have to lower the stretcher all the way to the ground and get on each side. We'd have to do a lift, you know, mm -hmm. to get the, the stretcher up into the ambulance. Now we're talking about the stone age, everybody. I mean, even before my time, they just used to hook the stretcher to the back of the, you know, the ambulance and just pull it down the street. But anyway, <laughs> um, but you know, so there has been a lot of evolution in how we're taking care of patients. But when we think about safety, one, you know, the use of bariatric equipment is really something that is, uh, you know, needed. You know, we talk about ramps, mm -hmm. we talk about winches, we talk about specialized, um, you know, um, stretchers. Uh, the, these really do make a difference when it comes not only to the care of the patient, Kelly, but but the safety of the uh, provider. Yeah, um, the the and provider safety being being first and foremost. But it, it's not like saying, well, you know, you just need extra help. Because it's it's more than that when you're dealing with the bariatric patient and the spare specialized equipment they often require. Uh, the the potential for not just back injuries and, and lifting associated stuff, but but injuries to the hands and and um, you know problems with with traffic loading patients and and all that sort of thing also come into play when you're dealing with bariatric transport. Uh, the, these ramps are are you know are pretty uh, pretty significant hand hazards. And, and pinch hazards uh, where you can lose a digit or or an extremity if you if you operate them incorrectly you know winches with uh, under tension and and fraying cables and and what that what happens when those cables separate uh, all all factors to consider uh, in bariatric transport and you know it's nice that we have equipment like that uh, for our safety because uh, you can remember and, and I certainly can remember back in the day where I had to lift me and just my partner, a 570-pound patient on a regular basis on a Ferno Model 26. <laughs> and I shudder to think, uh, you know, you have to lower the patient all the way to the ground on that old Model 26. Remember the one you had to pick up and walk it into the ambulance? Right, exactly. Uh, 
and and dead uh, deadlift half of uh, 570 pounds plus a stretcher, and then walk forward with it three feet to put them in the ambulance. I'm, I'm glad those days are gone, uh, but it's still not something you can just turn a cruise loose with and, and figure it out. Uh, uh, I know that our our the medics on our bariatric transport truck uh, have to have specialized training. Now the other crews, uh, um, since we are uh, expected to assist them on calls on an as needed basis, uh, that has become part of our yearly uh, continuing education. Is that we have assigned uh, assigned CEUs on on bariatric transport and uh, assisting those crews, uh, not to the extent of the training of the other crews, but you know what your role is and, and where to stand and and uh you know how to uh, you know where the the pinch points and the hazard points are on this equipment and and mainly do what the bariatric transport crew tells you to do that right. sort of thing but to get everybody on the same page uh, you, you have to have a little ed- extra education right and there's a lot of great equipment so when we talk about bariatric uh transfer or mm-hmm. transport. This doesn't necessarily mean winches and ramps and specialized trucks. And, no, but no. there's a lot of great things. I mean, there's a lot of great equipment that's out there. The hover jack is really something that's pretty amazing. You know, it'll go downstairs. It'll, you know, uh, you know, raise up. So, you know, I mean, just there's so many different things. But I kind of want to switch gears a little bit because we talked about treatment. We talked about management. But let's talk about provider attitude because I think one of the things that I've had to deal with in my career as a leader is the, I don't know, I mean, the unhappiness, the unwillingness Mm -hmm. uh, of the providers when they have to move one, move patients that are uh, obese. But number two, you know, uh, it's great because you said the bariatric crew, which means you have a dedicated crew and a dedicated truck. But there mm-hmm. are some systems where you have to go back to the station, you have to get the winch, you have to get the ramps, you have to get the, yeah. you know, the bigger stretchers. And it gives people a lot of, um, I don't know, it kind of sets them off a little bit. So mm-hmm. uh, let's kind of deal a little bit with that, you know, how we kind of change the focus. I mean, when we think about, you know, um, when we think about mental health and mental illness, we talk about the attitude that we precipitate that kind of yeah. keeps our folks you know, that keeps our peers from wanting to talk to us because of our attitude. Well, isn't that kind of the same thing? Aren't we kind of opening that Pandora's box to find a can of worms when we start to talk about, make fun of, and, you know, talk badly of obese patients? It, it is. And, you know, in in every aspect of what we do, we need to be cognizant of how our, our attitudes and our words are, are received by others. Uh, and the bariatric patient and their family members are, are no exception. Um, but the, the sad truth of it is, is, is obese people uh, in this country and, and in others are, are one of the last uh, demographics where uh, it's often widely accepted to disparage, you know. Um, I think that's shifting, but, I mean, it, it used to be no one would call you out for being cruel and, and, and insulting to a fat person, uh, which is which is ridiculous. And now, you know, we, we the, this body positivity movement and, and, and the fact that, that people start to uh, call others out for fat shaming and stuff – uh, is is a good thing, um, but we still, you know, just even if you're all, if all, however many of you are on scene necessary to move the patient, if you're all extremely professional, uh, 
and apologetic. When someone needs that degree of response, there's 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 some degree of embarrassment and and uh, and you know self consciousness there. Uh, uh, if you've ever had a, a bariatric patient, you know, repeatedly apologize to you for all the trouble they're putting you through um, when they've done nothing wrong other than get sick, which is not something in their control. Uh, it's it's kind of of, of uh, shaming to put a point on it, you know, to realize that that these people are 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 in a position they they don't want to be in and can't do anything about it and and are powerfully embarrassed about that. So yeah. uh, how and, we, and, and let's compound that though now, Kelly. Yeah. So you know, exactly what you just said may, may be that feelings that they have. Now let's compound that when you have five firefighters in the house, when you've got two EMS professionals in the mm-hmm. house, when you've got to maybe remove a door when you've got to get the winches and ramps out, now everybody in the neighborhood is, you know, yeah. kind of what. So it, it adds to that embarrassment as well. The least that we can do from a compassionate standpoint is to be a little bit more understanding. But we also yeah. talked about health-related problems. And when we think yeah. about a bariatric patient, there are so many things that we've got to be aware of. Now, you know, we may be seeing somebody because they have abdominal pain or they may be having, you know, shortness of breath. Um, you know, uh, secondary to exacerbation of uh, walking or whatever that is. But we've got to be able to think about the health problems that are related to obesity. We talk Mm -hmm. about diabetes. We talk about sleep apnea. We talk about, you know, heart failure. We talk about gastric reflux. Um, You know, what else? We talk about osteoarthritis. So now, Mm -hmm. you know, we start to think about the, the chief complaint of what we're dealing with when it comes to a bariatric patient. We've also got to think about um, you know, some differential diagnosis that may be, uh, you know, that we need to consider, or we may, may now need to think about, you know, how we're treating that patient for uh, what could come. You know, one of the things that we talk about from the community paramedicine standpoint all the time is, you know, I have an obese patient in the community paramedic program, and I don't. I'm just using this as an example that has diabetes. Well, I have to yeah. be very, very cognizant of them having a heart attack. I have to mm-hmm. be very, very cognizant of them having renal failure. I need to be cognizant of of uh, blindness with glaucoma. So I'm not just treating the diabetes. I got to treat all these symptoms. Mm-hmm. Well, I got to treat all these, you know, suspected conditions that could happen as well. When we deal with somebody that has, you know, uh, obesity related health problems, we've got to have a good amount of knowledge here, Kelly, to think about yeah. what else is going on with the patient or. You know, what kind of help we can give them to ensure that they don't create a, a, a larger health problem in the future. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and as you mentioned, even when even simple and routine care and transport turns into a, a, a spectacle for the patient, that that's bad enough. But these people have legitimate medical problems. You've got someone with with multiple comorbidities. Uh, and quite often they have diminished physiologic reserves that their, their margin between compensation and decompensation can be razor thin. Um, and not to mention the fact that much of our equipment is not going to work on them. You know, if you've got someone who is, who is morbidly obese and, and, uh, very large and you're having to put EKG electrodes on just to get a 12 liter EKG and you're wondering why you're, why your waveforms are so small, you know, the, the low voltage QRS that you often get, or when you try to do something as simple as obtain a blood pressure and you don't have a cuff that will work. 
uh, or when you try to manage an airway. One of my, right. my contributions to EMS one uh, for this series is is managing the airway in the bariatric patient, and it can be extremely difficult, or it can be absurdly easy and unexpectedly easy. Um, but there are special things that you take into consideration. Right positioning wise and 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 teamwork wise your approach to bariatric airway management but all of these things uh, play a huge role you, you've got a patient you know you or i chris right now and and i guess i would be considered a bariatric patient god forbid um i'm i'm I tip the scales at 340 plus pounds. Now that's 70 pounds down. I'm ashamed to admit, uh, but 70 pounds. But you're also six foot area. six. You're also six foot six. So that's <laughs> well, not. Yeah, I'm, I'm not six foot six. No, but I'm just teasing I'm, I'm tall. you. Yeah, I'm tall. But um, what is your what is what is your ideal weight? Oh God, my ideal weight, according to a BMI calculator, I would look like a like a concentration camp survivor. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah. Because I weigh, you know, I'm tipping the scales myself at about 250 at five foot nine, yeah. which is a little bit. And but they say my ideal weight is 190. Yeah, 240 would be a good weight for me. Yeah. Uh, I've got pictures of myself at 240, and you'd think I weigh 185. Yeah, but I've got pictures of you at 240. The, the problem, pretty, pretty yeah, high, the problem with high. BMI calculators is they don't factor in muscle mass. Exactly. You know, uh, they would list a bodybuilder as morbidly obese. But so, be that as it may, um, you, you've got. You or I, with no respiratory problems whatsoever, we lie flat on our back. We lose about 20% of our functional reserve capacity just from supine positioning. Right. Now, imagine that in the in the 500-plus-pound patient. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, if, if we were well-oxygenated uh, and stopped breathing, it would take us um, properly positioned – uh, six to eight minutes to desaturate and for hypoxia to set in, you can cut that number in half for a, for an obese person. Um, so yeah, I think that's the, a really good point. And, yeah, you know, but one of the, taking care of them is, is much narrower. Yeah, but here's another thing: as we're talking about um, you know treatment, you know, when we think about, I mentioned CHF a little bit, and I think CHF mm-hmm. is one of those things that we find that a lot of patients who are overweight have. I mean, we think about. Um, you know, we think about, uh, you know, the signs of CHF, a ventricular gallop, uh, peripheral edema, rails or crackles. Um, when, we, when we do an assessment and we have somebody who is overweight, these, these signs may be obscure in the heavier patient. So we may not be able to hear good a ventricular gallop. We might be able to ascertain peripheral edema or rails because we can't hear. Mm-hmm. So it makes our job a lot harder now as we start to figure out, you know, exactly what's going on. But, you know, I want to get back to this mentality of, you know, how providers are dealing with patients who are different than they are. And, you know, I think that this goes into, um, you know, a bigger, um, I don't know, what word do I want to use, um, negative culture in EMS um, that we've got to really change. And I think that as we're bringing light to dealing with, uh, you know, this specialized patient population, we've got to remember that everyone needs our very best. And uh, that's not finger pointing and snickering. Yeah. And, and, um, even if you're not finger pointing and snickering, as I alluded to earlier, when you've got 
uh, a group of people physically exerting themselves and and even not trying to to be purposely disparaging to the patient or and and trying to remain as professional when you're sweating and and grunting and 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 cursing under your breath at the the physical toil you're you're undergoing that's embarrassing for the patient as well even though you don't mean it um and and it's something we often forget uh you know and and something that's often overlooked when it's not the patient themselves directly responsible for the physical exertion we're doing. You know, if we're trying to extricate someone from a car or move them up a steep embankment or do anything that's physically um, taxing, um, okay, well, that's expected. But but when the patient themselves, just the simple movement of the patient themselves is physically taxing, there's a great deal of embarrassment uh, uh, to the patient we need to be cognizant of and do everything that we can to alleviate that and, and let them know that, that no matter what, uh, we are here for them and, and there's no judgment uh, involved. What what interests me, though, Chris, is not just the, the attitude that the providers uh, have. Um, sometimes you see some gaps in the attitude of management and how policies are set up. And, and I'll, I'm going to call out my agency specifically, and, and, and I want to preface this by saying I'm, I'm happy where I work, and I agree with most of what they do, but I think they make a couple of mistakes uh, when it comes to bariatric transport. I'll give you an example. We have bariatric transport trucks in our system, and every ops area has one, uh, or, or in in some cases, depending on how busy, more than one. Uh, and these trucks are, are uh, equipped with specialized ramps and a bariatric stretcher uh, and a winch system uh, and crews trained in their use. And all the people in the ops area, all the crews in the ops area are, are trained in how to assist them. But they're only there for transfers. They, they fail to realize that many of these bariatric patients experience emergencies as well. So when you call for a bariatric truck to transport someone, um, it's not available. Uh, our bariatric trucks are, are, are line units that have extra equipment and the crew has additional training. They run 911 calls. Um, so when you call to those uh, there, there's no protocol or anything set in place that uh, when you get a call at this particular address for a 911 call, send the bariatric truck. Instead, we get sent a sprinter, <laughs> you know, where, where these uh, many of these patients won't even fit in a sprinter or a standard uh, striker uh, powered cot. And, and I think that's a that's a, an oversight uh, on our part, but it's not an uncommon one. You see this in other agencies as well, where they they neglect to consider the emergency component of bariatric transport and think of it as only as, as inter-facility or scheduled stuff. Yeah, what I do think, you do about that? Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And, you know, but as our, our, as our career field has evolved, we need to be able to make sure all our practices evolve as well. And we talked about the equipment that we see when it comes to uh, dealing with bariatric patients. But we've got to be able to make sure that we have the policies, the procedures, and, you know, the training, you know, not only from a resource standpoint, but from a mm -hmm. treatment and management standpoint to take care of this special population, Kelly. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I think we've got to stop, you know, it's, it's almost like we're turning a blind eye to say, if we don't talk about it, maybe it'll go away. It, it's not going to go away. No. 
no and and let me let me take you on a on a, a corollary to uh to that um Policy and procedure-wise and equipment-wise, what recommendations would you, as a, as a leader and a, and a manager, uh, make to agencies considering um, uh, bariatric transport? Not necessarily setting up a bariatric, a dedicated bariatric transport unit, but you know, policies and procedures and equipment and training-wise, what would you recommend uh, to an agency that, that recognizes, hey, we don't we don't pay enough attention to this and we want to get better at it? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. One of the things that I would do is I would find the champions in my organization who have mm -hmm. a passion about this. You know, maybe they have a family member. And put, them in, and put them in charge? And put them in charge of developing. Let them find, you know, and this is another way of engaging the workforce, you know, and making that's sure an, that that's just an excellent leadership. You know, so, right but, but one of the things that we want to do is we want to find best practices. We don't have to create it ourselves, Kelly. There are people who are out there who are doing amazing work in this area. And, you know, if you're one of those systems and you want to be able to share some of your insight, you know, this is the time to do that. And when Kelly talks about the email address or when you see this on a Facebook page, mm -hmm. but what I would do is I would find the champions within the organization organization who um, have a passion for it and I would ask them to find the best practices I would ask them we need protocols we need policies we need procedures and we need equipment let's go ahead and put it together but then you could talk with your peers I mean who am I to sit up there in my ivory tower in the leather chair and say let's get winches and ramps when the hover mat may be the better option um, yeah. you know I, I can do that but I'm not doing the work so yeah. that's one of the things that I would do but um, if you're not going to take that approach from a leadership standpoint and you're going to be able to and you want to make that policy yourself, then there's a lot of people who are out there who are doing the work. I would ask them for their, uh, you know, their best practices. I would let them share with equipment they have. You know, I would talk to the vendors when you go to the EMS conferences and really talk to them because a lot of the people who have done the work, um, you know, really have researched and they really have looked at this, you know, as a as a uh, um, a problem and really have come up with some great answers. So a lot of times we see these folks, Kelly, in the EMS conferences and we walk right by them. Mm -hmm. Talk to them yeah. and find out about the studies and find out about the challenges. But, you know, that's mm -hmm. kind of how I would handle it. But uh, I'm just one you know. man working against insurmountable odds. That's right. You're, you're Sisyphus pushing that rock up the hill over and over again. Um, that... Uh, from a grunt standpoint, one of the things that greatly increases your job satisfaction um, is, is not so much money. It's the attitude that management conveys when they went by giving you the tools that you need to perform your job well. Um, and and if management were to give you uh, a man sack or a patient mover or one of the hover the the uh, the hover patient movers, the name escapes me. But there's one there that you. You hook, uh, you hook to a, a, a air source, and it's like an air hockey puck. You know yeah, it's the, that's, the, that's the hover mat. That's the hover mat? That yeah. thing is awesome. It is. Awesome. That thing goes uh, down It goes down the stairs. I mean, it's just an incredible yeah, moving yeah, thing. Yeah, they were, you know, a 90-pound girl was able to move me all over the exhibit hall floor on one of those when I weighed 350-plus pounds. So uh, with, with just her one hand, um, pretty impressive stuff. But... Um, 
giving your your crews the equipment they they need to do the job well and safely and do the best they can for their patients speaks volumes about about how you value your people and and you value the jobs that they do Um, and it need not be prohibitively expensive Chris, I saw on, on uh, Facebook the other day, and, and we'll maybe try to post a uh, post a, uh, a copy of it in the comments. This was on EKU's uh, paramedic program's uh, Facebook page. There was a, there's a Ferno attachment for Ferno cots where you can use the halves of your Ferno scoop stretcher as the wings for a bariatric large patient surface area stretcher. That's to me, that is really cool innovation there. You've got something that you've already, you've got an, a, a piece of equipment you already use on your truck, probably don't utilize it as much as you should, even on every other patient. Um, but with the purchase of a small, uh, you know, affordable adapter kit, you can add this thing to your cot um, and not have that patient who's, who's um, uh you know, bound up against the the cot rails and pinching themselves and extremely uncomfortable because they don't fit on your standard size cot. Uh, and, and invest a few hundred dollars in in a, a, a quality patient mover, and that sort of thing uh, uh, speaks volumes about how you care about your patients, uh, your your customers, and your your crews. Um, but hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. What are the specific challenges that your agency has faced and managed to overcome in bariatric treatment and transport? How's your agency doing it right? How's your agency doing it wrong? We'd like to hear your thoughts on the issue at the show at EMS1.com. And for myself, co-host Chris Ciballero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week. <laughs>